Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Veterinary Advice, Animal News and Views. I'm your host, practicing veterinarian, veterinary news network reporter, Roger Welton. Dr. Roger Welton, that is, coming to you live from the Florida Space Coast. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest for you this evening. We'll get to Mr. Liam Crow in just a moment. Uh, fascinating company by the name of Bark Buster, he's the CEO of. Um, before we get into our interview, however, I'd like to remind you that this is a live call-in show, and you are welcome to call us at any time during this interview with questions or comments. That number is toll-free, 1-877-878-1435. Again, that's 1-877-878-1435. I'll be repeating that throughout the broadcast, but uh, that number is also in the profile of my show page. Also, ladies and gentlemen, for those of you who are a bit shy and don't uh, want your voices heard on the air. Also, feel free to post uh, questions on our live chat room. Uh, we got a few questions through the chat last week. We just started that feature. Uh, if you want to enter the chat room, just go uh, to my profile on the show page and click on the spot where it says click here to chat. Pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Also, for my archive listeners, since about 70% of you that actually ultimately listen uh, when it's all said and done, do listen by archive. We always want you to be able to participate. And if you would like to email me questions to address either myself or my guest live on the air, that email address is comments at web-dvm.net. Once again, that's comments at web-dvm.net. And again, that information and everything else is on the profile of my show page. Let's get into Mr. Liam Crow. Mr. Liam Crow is the CEO of BarkBusters, a company that promotes dog-friendly training techniques that leverage the same communication methods, body language, and voice control that dogs follow as part of their, uh, of their instinctual pack mentality. Sessions occur on uh, one-on-one in the privacy of one's home. They have dog therapists all over the USA and the world even, and they have been responsible for the training of over 500,000 dogs. That's astounding. I first became acquainted with the services of BarkBusters when a local BarkBusters therapist stopped by my clinic to introduce herself and tell me about her training methods about four years ago. Since then, she has been responsible for the successful training of many of my canine patients, but most importantly, she has helped fix some dogs with serious problems, serious deep-seated behavioral disorders that, in some cases, uh, highly frustrated owners were even on the verge of considering giving up the dog dream and putting them to sleep. So she's, she's saved lives with what she's done, changed lives. It's uh, just fantastic. So to tell us a little bit about the company tonight, Liam is here in person. Uh, Liam, are you there? Yes, I am. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Crow. Thank you very much for joining us. I, I imagine as CEO of such a large company, your time must be uh, very valuable, and I do appreciate you spending a couple of minutes with, here, oh, with us here favorite. tonight. Excellent. All righty. Well, I'll tell you, you know, the, the title of the show is Training the Aussie Way, and I guess that's kind of mm-hmm. your, uh, you know, kind of kind of your mantra. We'll get to that in just a moment. But sure. uh, would you mind just uh, beginning by telling my audience a bit about your path that led you to become the CEO of BarkBusters in terms of personal career and what have you? I would love to, yeah, and thanks for the opportunity. I really do appreciate it. So. Sure. My, my story, uh, I'm married to Natalie, my wife. We've, we're coming up on 20 years of marriage. And when we, you know, we'd been dog owners all our lives. And when we were back in Australia, in case you hadn't noticed that part, that's where we're from originally. Um, sure. We had our dogs all our lives and you know, trained in the same way and everything was working. But then we came across our, our nemesis, if you like, or our saviour, really, <laughs> because he brought us to where we are today. He's a um, Australian cattle dog border collie mix. And wow. we, we, we did everything we could with him, the same that most people would do, but we we couldn't get him trained. And so as a result, right. we, we actually consulted with someone like yourself. We went to our veterinarian and said, look, we've tried all these techniques. We actually tried different training companies. Nothing was working. And he introduced right. us to BarkBusters. And my home? career, I'd been a career banker for 10 years and you know was, was successful at it, but really wanted to work for myself and wanted to do something I love because life's too short, right? So we, Absolutely. Uh, we uh, Natalie was actually a travel agent at the time and had just arrived back from New Zealand and she said to me, we need to move to New Zealand. So on a whim, 
uh, I said, yeah, yeah, we need to do that, but, but what what could we do when we get there? And around about the same time, we'd heard about Barkbusters. So we met the founders of the company back in Australia, Danny and Sylvia Wilson, and just, just fell in love with the concept. Just a fantastic company. Knew that the training would work really well, and obviously it did. It was very effective, and we said, that's it. We um, packed up a bag, sold everything we had, and took it to New Zealand, and in June of 2000, sold that, and then brought it here to the U.S., Wow, that's fan- that's fantastic. Um, and so, I'm sorry, what year was that that Barkbusters came to the U.S.? June of 2000. Okay, June of 2000. Okay, so in this fairly short period of time, you've you've grown pretty pretty fast, I would say. Would you agree with that? Most definitely, yeah. We got their wildest <laughs> dreams. We we didn't realize. I mean, we had pretty great aspirations, but you never know. And we knew that. Right. That dogs pretty much the world over talk the same way, but we weren't too sure how cultural, culturally how we would fit in over here. But people love working, you know, with with dogs and getting paid for it and being able to change, like you said before, changing people's lives. It's just it's just a phenomenal um, calling, I guess. Yeah, and I say that with no hesitation. I mean, it, it it's really it's it's really impressive. And and I, I what astounds me is here I am in my little corner of Florida, not mm-hmm. a very big town. My practice is in it's like one square mile or something, and we okay. have a Barkbusters. Uh, you know that that's remarkable. That tells you something. It, it must be uh, really catching on. Um, so so what is the Barkbusters trading philosophy? Please just I, I you know I understand that there's there's a lot that goes involved. You do you know sure. all kinds of things, but uh, if you can sort of yeah, give us a brief summary of uh, what training the Aussie way means. <laughs> I'll definitely do my best. So, all right. Our founders, Sylvia and Danny Wilson, are the founders. They're still back in Australia, still running the company today. But Sylvia ran a shelter for ten years, and she was just saddened by the amount of dogs that would would be brought into the shelter on a regular basis. And unfortunately, you know, for some of them, it was too. You know, there's only so many dogs that could be rehoused. So unfortunately, right. some of them had to be euthanized, and, and just really saddened her. And she knew how to fix a lot of them. And this is funny, if, uh, you know, it's crazy, but if you've ever been into a shelter or a pound or anything like that, the dogs there tend to be fairly uh, rambunctious and noisy. You walked into this shelter and they were quiet because she observed the way they communicate with each other and just basically, I mean, we like to say we, we speak dog, communicated to them in such a way that took the stress out of their lives and they, they calmed down very oh, wow. quickly. And so that's that's yeah. pretty much what we do in a nutshell. And, you know, if you have a look at... Um, the, the, the history of dog training through the years, it's really gone yeah. from the, the pendulum has swung from one extreme to the other. So initially it was very hands-on, very physical, very dominating of the dogs. And, and, and you know, at the time uh-huh. that worked, but things have definitely gone the other way. And, and to the other end of the scale, it's where it's positive only. And we believe in, you know, being very holistic in our approach. And so we, we also realize that not one size fits all. So we really, if you have a look at a spectrum, we're somewhere in the middle uh, we do mm-hmm. correct the dog for their mistake, but we're very mindful to be very positive in the praise, and, and very importantly, we show and guide what to do, what the dogs we want them to do, and and we do, like you said at the beginning, talk, primarily communicate through body language and and voice tones. Wow, that's that, that's remarkable. And um, I, I recall uh, Pam is one of the one of the oh, dog, uh, Barkbusters trainers here, sure. and um, she was actually helping out with uh, my sister's crazy Labrador. You know, Labradors are usually pretty manageable. This thing was insane. And uh, I remember she had my sister, like, growling at the dog sometimes. It was really interesting. I'd never seen anything like that before. But she did a great job. I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know, I mean, dogs don't don't communicate in human human language. Not the last time I've checked anyway. So, you know, we communicate in a way that that they understand. And, yeah, Pam is one of – I mean, we're in 41 states. We've got about 250 locations. So she's one of our – successful franchise owners that we and we just love you know having people like Pam out there and her husband Zeke that, that really represent our company really well yeah I like the car they pull up into the pretty the, cool like, dog <laughs> car <laughs> now do they all have that or is that their little twist oh no 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 everyone well they don't all have the same cool car that they have but we do have decals that we encourage our, our guys to, to put on their cars because they really do get a lot of attention as a result and they're pretty you know pretty yeah, taste like- done and, and they're pretty cool yeah, it kind of reminds me of the, of the movie Dumb and Dumber a little bit, the giant doggy pulling up. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you just saw that movie; it's one of my favorites ever. But oh, sure. off Absolutely. topic. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, um, so, so all right, let's let's talk about how your company works with regard to training your therapist. Now, now mm-hmm. you, you you're keeping the techniques among so many different therapists uh, spread so vastly standardized. How do you do that? So the, the, really the key is it, it, it is an owner-operator business, and so we don't have our, our operators don't have any employees per se. So Pam and Zeke bought the, the business. They came to Colorado to train. 
that we do some pre-training. They're here for there's four weeks of training whilst they're here in Colorado, and then we do some post-training. So the pre-training is they do ride-alongs with local bikebuster therapists, and then they come to Colorado for four weeks, and we, we train them extensively in Colorado. And then they, we also visit shelters and help out with shelter dogs, etc. And then they also do visits with the trainers whilst they're here in Colorado. And then we have someone ride along with them when they go back home to make sure that you know they're comfortable with the techniques and everything. And then over and above that, every month we have and we have what we call our master trainers who've been in the field for more than five years, have trained thousands and thousands of dogs, and they right. uh, work for us here at the home office in Denver. And we have training conference calls. So with those specifically tough cases and recurring, you know, cases that like separation anxiety, sibling rivalry, those sorts of the tougher ones, we really hone right. in on those case studies to, to make sure that people are um, advancing their education. And over and above that, wow. we, do, uh, we, we have an international conference every year. So we, we, uh, we either travel around the country to a different location and bring the franchise owners in there or... We we invite them to come out here to Denver, and the founders come, Danny and Sylvia from from Australia, and we also have um, franchise owners and, and therapists from other countries come and join us. And it, it's really it's it's focusing on the evolution of our system and dog training as a whole. And so we spend you know two three days together just enhancing and, and honing the skills that we've taught people over the years. Well, that's really neat. So so they're doing. I just got back from a veterinary conference today. Actually, oh, um, I'm there doing what's called continuing education. Yeah. Um, and you're very much involved in that as well. You're, you're, Absolutely. you're like you talked about. Uh, obviously, techniques and research is going to evolve your field, and it's not very far removed from what we have to do as we practice medicine. That's really neat. Sure. sure. Uh, very, very, very cool. Yeah. So let's let's uh, let's let's go down to you know I I, I was um, I had a chat actually earlier. I was on the Barkbuster sponsored radio show earlier with Kathy Conway. Oh, uh, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for for being on that. Oh, <laughs> uh, that was fun. She's great. Um, and uh, one of the things that she touched on was, you know, why am I involved in the media? And uh, obviously, I the the big reason was I was just I'm just floored about the amount of poorly informed pet owners, medically speaking. Um, so so let let let's take this from a behavioral standpoint. What are some of the common mistakes? What are the common things that people do wrong? As they raise their puppy, that lead to problematic behavior. Yeah, it's a really it's a really good place to start, and particularly if you are talking about a puppy that you've you've just acquired, be it one from a shelter or from a breeder or wherever where you've got the dog. Uh, it's it's really important to start your education, you know, pretty much the day you bring your your puppy or your dog home. Just like we have a responsibility to, to make sure our children get receive the best education, we have exactly the same responsibility to do the same with our pets, particularly our dogs. Because if we don't have guidelines and um, an education, uh, an educational role in their lives, then they won't understand any guidelines, and as a result, a lot of behavioural issues will manifest very early on in the puppies and, and in the dogs sure. that become huge, huge issues later on. So really, it's really sure. setting, you know, setting the standard from day one. But if you haven't, I mean, it's never too late either. I mean, the, the oldest dog I've ever dealt with was a 16-year-old dog that suffered separation anxiety primarily because of a move to a new house, and we were able to fix that. So, you know, probably the average 15. age of the, of the dog of the client that we see is about 18 months to two years where the, the owner's at to the point of, well, they're not really going to grow out of this, and I'm still frustrated, so I guess I should do something about it. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I guess it's – yeah, it is never too late, is it? I mean, it's um, – there's always that saying, you can't talk, teach a new, an old dog new tricks, but that's very not true, is it? I couldn't agree more. I mean, you definitely can teach an old dog new tricks. And more importantly, teach, uh, an, I won't say old, but an owner <laughs> new tricks as well. Really, <laughs> oh, yeah. Typically what we find is the lines of com communication haven't really been fully utilized. So in other words, uh, we tend to, because we're human, we tend to treat our animals like like they're one of the family. And... As a result, we send out conflicting messages because we're not as consistent. Our body language may not be easily as read as, as we would like it to be. We speak to them in ways that they really don't understand. And so once, you know, that's really what we're, we're focusing on from Barkbuster's point of view is opening up those lines of communication so that the dogs get it, but more importantly, the owners get it. And, and once, once we do that, it's amazing to see the light bulb go on and the stress just sort of leaves the room from, from both perspectives, the dog and the owners. Okay, well that that's that's remarkable. Now let's. Um, I have a chat room question here for you, Mr. Crow. Mm -hmm. um, right. This is from Alyssa, who actually included where she's from, Cocoa Beach, Florida, a local listener. Okay. Um, her question is this: I have a very sweet, loving, loyal 
four-year-old yellow lab male that has become increasingly fearful with age. This dog has never been struck in any way and is treated like a family member. It started with thunderstorm anxiety. We have quite a few of those here. Oh, sure. um, and, uh, from like May to October, it's a daily occurrence. I mean, every day around 3.30, there's going to be a nasty thunderstorm. Um, I, I just I, I just threw that in there. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not what she no, said. That's, no, um, that's, that's good. <laughs> a bit more background. Sure. It's a bad problem for dogs that are yes. fearful of it. But anyway, I'll continue with her question. Started with thunderstorm anxiety and moved into other areas. Uh, any loud noises, refusing to move through a fittable but mildly tight spot. <laughs> My vet put him on Prozac. That helped some, but he is still pretty bad. Any ideas? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, I mean, certainly we've got a, a bunch of our um, behavioral therapists down there in Florida who, who experienced this, mm-hmm. you know, particularly over that season, the other thunderstorm season. But but let's go back to you know square one here, and it's a, he. I don't know. I don't think she mentioned uh, his name, but he's a four-year-old lab. So quite mm. often, what we find, I'm assuming that they've had him since he was a pup, or you know, at a reasonably young age. Quite often, right. what happens is these things uh, they show up very subtly over time, and and usually there's a pattern behind it. And and unless you're really tuned into it, it's 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 difficult to see what those things are. But right. The, the fearfulness typically comes because they don't feel... We, we, we have a, a saying, dogs have four basic requirements, food, safety, shelter, and entertainment. Now, it's easy okay. to provide for most of those. You know, food is obvious. Safety, I'm going to get to, but shelter and entertainment. So, you know, inside or a kennel that's close to the house, entertainment means training or, or walking and exercise, mental stimulation, you know, playing with the dog, toys, sure. etc. But the, the key one is the safety and the safety really, that's where sometimes we fall down as humans, and, and I don't know enough about the owner to say this, but I'll, I'll be very general here, and this, this hopefully will help a lot of people with fearful dogs. If they right. don't feel comfortable in the environment they're in, it's usually as a result of what the message we're sending. And so they, just like our children tend to, they look to us for guidance. And we could, we could inadvertently send out a, 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 the wrong body, sorry, excuse me, the wrong message via our body language, and as a result, they become more fearful. So I'll give you some examples. Right. If you know if yeah. someone um, knocks at the front door and we quote unquote overreact because we oh it's great that someone's here, that overreaction could could result in our dog becoming more fearful because in the first place they they could have a fearful or um, nervous is probably a better description temperament, and unless right. we we react in a way that's calmer and the point of, the point I really want to get across is here is the calmness is really key then the right. dog doesn't get the right message and as a result continues to be nervous and it gets worse and worse or fearful and, and worse and worse. And so also things like, you know, the pushing through, the loud noises, I'm going to, get, I'm going to come back to that one in a second if I can too, but the mildly sure. areas, uh, there could be a variety of reasons. The dog could have gotten stuck there at some stage. Who knows, could have got its tail caught in, you know, the, a door or something like that. Something like that, what you really want to do is desensitize or, or recondition the dog to that, the behavior that it's not such a big deal. So in other words, treat it like um, the, the, there's a reward on the other side of it. Now, if it's, a, if it's a lab and it's a typical lab, they may be ball obsessed. You could practice by just <laughs> holding a ball on the other side of the tight space and giving it to them as the reward as they, you know, when they come through. If it's treat right. motivated, you could do as a treat and, all so, and so on and so forth. But what's important is our reaction to their reaction. So if we are calm and, and you know, not overexcited and, and it's a fairly quiet household, that will do this dog a lot of good. Now, the thing okay. with the thunderstorm and the loud noises, you, we have a great program of overcoming that through typically through decent, do you, can't get the word out, desensitization as well. And that's mm-hmm. usually, um, you know, just getting the dog used to, and the, in the quieter times of year, like now in particular, the noise that's associated with the thunderstorm. We're not going to be able to recreate the atmospheric, you know, pressure and those sorts of things, but we can certainly create the noises and the loud noises. And, and usually most people just, you know, buy a CD or just download something nowadays on the internet with, with fireworks or noises and play it at a very low volume to start with and then slowly increase the volume. And then wow. The you know, and then that's a desensitization. But then the other thing is, right. do- any dog, particularly one that's fearful, needs to have some sort of a safe haven. Now, for some dogs, that's a crate. They love going into their crate and they'll, they'll sort of retreat there if they're feeling any stress or they just want to be left alone. 
And a dog right. like this lab, maybe over and above that, you know, particularly with the thunderstorm season, would be a crate that's covered in a heavy blanket or old carpet or something that sort of dims the light and, you know, so there's not so many flashes if it's, if it's a nighttime thunderstorm or, and or more importantly, the noise a little bit. Some people will also, um, you know, put the dog in like a, a middle room in the house, like a bathroom, where they know there's going to be a thunderstorm throughout the day, turn on a fan, turn on a radio to try and have a little bit of white noise around it so that it's not as distracting and disturbing for the dog. That's remarkable. <laughs> I, I mean, there's um, more I can say, but that, that's hopefully enough of course. To, to give them some ideas. No, that's phenomenal. Actually, uh, I deal with this problem all the time as a veterinarian. Look, they come to me for these problems, sure. and I'll tell you, they don't give us much behavioral training in veterinary school. Now, you can specialize well, and become a certified shrink, basically, for yes. dogs and cats, but, but yes. that, they're very few and far between. I don't know of any. Um, yes. and, and know, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're very good, but, but at the same token, you know, um, what do you think about the Prozac? I mean, a, a lot of us with, you know, and I've, I've gone to Prozac um, on many occasions. Well, you know, what, what, are your, what are your feelings on that? I'm really glad it, you brought it, up because I, I meant to ask you. Yeah. We, we obviously, we're not veterinarians, so we never diagnose anything like any medical um, issues like that. We always say, we, we, you know, like Pam would come to you and say, Dr. Welton, look, I've got a situation here. We've tried the... the behavioral training we're mm -hmm. getting somewhere but the dog is still mm -hmm. really you know stressed out what do you think and so in co consultation with the vet we we you know we defer to you in that and in some instances that or comic harm or you know whatever it is that's rec that's um diagnosed or recommended by the vet prescribed mm -hmm. is what i'm thinking of um in conjunction with the behavioral training we tend to see a great turnaround we prefer not to go the route of medication of course and and probably you'd be of the same mind but in some instances yes. the dog is so stressed that that you know it helps in conjunction with the training um right. but one other thing that i hadn't mentioned and we just we've been trialing this for about the last actually about the last year and we're just now starting to stock it ourselves you you may have also heard of it it's called the thunder shirt it, oh, well, actually, yeah, actually, can you hold off on that? Because there's another yeah. question that actually okay. specifically good. addresses the Thunder shirt. <laughs> so, yeah, good, let, good, let, good. Let, I'm so glad you brought it up. Uh, that, yeah. That's a lady named Robin. Get to that yeah. in just a sec. Yeah, um, sure. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that's how I would prefer to use Prozac myself. And I actually don't like Clomacon. It can bring out aggression in some dogs. Okay. Um, so I'll either go amitriptyline or Prozac, my, my choices. But I would rather they work with you guys. And then, yeah. and then on your suggestion, you say to me, hey, I think I think we can really benefit from doing some pharmacological help here. Right. Um, and, and then I, I do it – I prefer to do it working with you guys if Definitely I, if I can. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. I think that's a great way to work, um, and I would recommend that to anybody listening tonight, and certainly to Melissa. Oh, and by the way, if somebody wants to find a local Barkbusters therapist, let's say Melissa heard what she said, she liked what she said, and would like to find a local therapist, how do they go about doing that? The simplest way is just to log on to www.barkbusters.com, um, or right. okay. they can they can call our, our toll free number eight seven seven five hundred Bark. Which is two two seven five. So eight seven seven five hundred two two seven five. The the person okay. I speak with last was zip code, and they'll put them through to the local trainer. Okay, great. Well, we'll, we'll post that on the blog as well for people right, to uh, click that link or call that uh, call that number. Um, so let's get to the uh, let's get to the thunderstorm shirt because I've been wondering about this myself, to be honest with you, um, yeah. Robin. Uh, she doesn't say where she's from, but I'm assuming somewhere around here because okay. it's another thunderstorm anxiety. My colleague has horrible thunderstorm anxiety. My vet put her on Prozac, and it helped. There's the Prozac again. But yep. she is still still bad. I feel so bad for her. My question for you is, do those, do those thunderstorm shirts work? And if so, how and why? Good question. Yeah, really good question. And, and honestly... Uh, Everything that I'm that I'm talking about, I still you know, a big proponent, obviously, of the, the training and providing the correct leadership. And 99.9% .9 of the time, that's going to be the answer. But you know, for the 0.01 of a percent, where uh, it, it's just you know we're looking for something else to, as an adjunct to the training, then we've had you know I would say about a 50% success rate with the dogs we trialed it with. And you know, we I'm in Colorado. We don't get anywhere near as many thunderstorms as you guys, but. Some of, our, some of our therapists around the country trialed it with their clients. And again, with about a 50%, maybe even slightly higher, maybe it's closer to 60% success rate. But I was fascinated. I, I, you know, it, it was presented to me, um, I think the, they found us out because they knew of our locations around the country and knew we'd deal with a lot of these issues. 
and and I, I spent some time on the phone with the founder about three months ago, and um, I was just a really interesting story. He just heard on the grapevine that putting pressure around the chest of the dog would would calm it down. And you know, you, you've heard of Temple Grandin, particularly nowadays with the movie her movie coming out and all those sorts of things. You know about about her? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and, and I mean, long story short, but she has autism, and but communicates amazingly with with animals, and and right. primarily it was it was a applied pressure and you know quote unquote a hug around the chest would calm them down and so he had heard that and he wrapped some old um, t-shirts because his dog had, had terrible thunderstorm phobia as well and, and just got some gaffer tape or duct tape and, and sort of strapped it around and he, he noticed a, a, a vast difference in the behaviour of his dog and so that's what we've noticed as well again in those instances where we've had the success with it and particularly with the thunder and it's you know it's a relatively inexpensive thing. I think they they retail for around thirty seven, thirty eight dollars, something like that. Uh, and right. it, it basically works. It, it compresses the chest just ever so slightly. And again, it's like it's like wearing a tight fitting jersey, for want of a better description. And mm-hmm. it just can calm the dog down. Now again, it it may not be the answer in and of itself. And I would just like with any medications we were talking about, I would still strongly right. recommend uh, do some training with it. But but you know we've had reasonable success. Very interesting because you know when I first heard this I thought that sounds pretty hokey to me. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, you, you know, I've been around the block long enough to know that uh, don't dismiss anything before you really read about it, hear about it. Uh, you know, especially from experts like yourself. Yep. Um, well, there you the, go. The thing, the, the, sorry, yeah, don't interrupt. The thing I no. love about it is uh, it, it's not going to do the dog any harm <laughs> unless right, unless they're reverse right. to wearing a shirt. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. They may not think it's right, a it fashion it, statement. <laughs> Right, so do do no harm is our tenant in the in the in the industry, yeah. um, you know, uh, and so at the very worst it can't hurt. Exactly. <laughs> <Just look. laughs> right. Exactly. Sounds good. Um, now I have uh, a couple pre-email questions here. Sure. My my audience for some reason, let me remind you guys, uh, I do have a toll-free number. My audience likes to email and post on the chat room. They're a little shy about calling. Oh, I um, wish we could chat live with them. I love I love chatting with people. Oh, uh, I know. Me too. We'll see how we got a little bit of time left here, so we'll say eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. I get like one call like every third show. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, you know, there's like six six eight thousand listeners. It's like, what are you what are you doing? Call me. All right, one eight seven seven eight seven eight one four three five. Please do indeed give us a call. We have a wonderful guest on tonight who really knows his stuff. I'm enjoying this show. Um, okay, so this one's <clears throat> this one's from Amy, Mister mm-hmm. Crow. Uh, this was this was sent in earlier in the week as a you know my a lot of my listeners are archive listeners so it gives them a chance to participate in the show. Sure, uh, Mr. Right. Crow, I want to get involved in dog rescue fostering, but my female spade Chihuahua is nasty to any dog that gets near her. Uh, that's not a surprise. Uh, is is this fixable or do I just have to wait until she dies one day to be oh able my to get into fostering? <laughs> <laughs> like that one. Yeah, well, now, baby, out here. It brings to mind uh, some good friends of ours that, that are on that the parents. Sorry, their daughter is on my daughter's soccer team, and and right. they rescue Boston Terriers, and they have in their house at any one time about five, and and they would typically oh, bring. They, they really is they're wonderful people. And typically, they'd bring one or two to a, either a training uh, of a night, or or on the weekend they'd bring one one or two to a game. And and recently um, they foster well. It's been a year now. They they mm. they're fostering one called Dude. And typically, like a lot of rescue people, you know, your heart goes out to them. They just love the animals and they do it for the love of it. They end up owning a lot of these dogs, you know, which is great. Yeah. But, but, oh, but I know. Dude, <laughs> but Dude is a foster dog that they probably will have to continue owning unless they get some help. And thankfully, you know, they they asked us and we gave some free advice and ended up, you know, giving a free lesson and all those sorts of things to help them out. But but right. all their other dogs were perfect in the house, and then dude comes along and he has this aggression issue, and it's primarily a fear aggression issue, and and it's primarily, unfortunately, directed towards other dogs, and so right. you know it's very similar to the Chihuahua that Amy's talking about. Potentially, it's usually fear aggression, and so yeah, you definitely um, should should at least talk to, depending on where she is in the country, at least talk to one of our trainers. You know, we can give free advice okay. and, and even a free consultation if, if necessary. But it, right. it, it comes down to what we were talking about at the, at the top of the show, uh, the leadership issue. If, if Amy's providing calm, consistent leadership, that will do wonders for her dog. And, and mm-hmm. most importantly, instead of the dog fearing the threat of the other dog, 
they'll be looking to Amy for that leadership and going, oh, right, I don't need to worry about the other dog. Great, I'll just lie over here and relax like a good chihuahua should, you know. <laughs> Very interesting because, you know, I, I just assumed that they were just mean little dogs. <laughs> oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, I've been bitten by more chihuahuas than any breed I've ever seen. Oh, and don't get me that. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny, people they're, talk about, you know, Rottweilers and pit bulls and German yeah. Shepherds and Dobermans, and I say, talk to a vet and find out how many dogs have, have bitten him. It's typical, or nipped at him, or her. It's usually a Chihuahua, you know, unfortunately. Chihuahuas really top the list. Dachshunds are up there, Jack Russell Terriers, but Chihuahuas, <laughs> man, they take the cake. Oh, they're um, all great dogs, it, though, and with great, you know, with yeah. proper training, they're, they're fantastic, yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, and, and some of them are, are just naturally wonderful. I mean, I, when yes. I worked in New York, I, I assume they were all just mean little guys, but and then I, I, for some reason down here, the chihuahuas are a little different. There's there's many that's, really nice chihuahuas that haven't needed your intervention, so I don't want to bash the breed. They're, they're, yeah, they no, can be very, pers- <laughs> very, very personal. That's not good for business either. No, uh, of, course not, of course not. But, uh, yeah, I would strongly <laughs> encourage uh, Amy to to certainly seek out some help and, and more importantly I think it's you know it's a great calling of hers because the more people that help rescue dogs the more the more get saved as well okay so there is hope for you Amy not to yeah, worry no. uh, yeah. talk, get, talk to your Barkbusters rep um, okay so we have another email question this is actually a good, this is one I want to know because I'll tell you what listen to this question this is from Gwen it doesn't say where she's from. Will Barkbusters ever be venturing into cat therapists because many of them have major issues? And you know what? I can concur with this lady. More cats have more behavioral issues, far more yes. commonly than dogs. Cats have issues. It's it's probably mostly because they're so stressed, fight-or-flight-driven animals that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a lot of them get weird. So what, 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 what do you say about that? <laughs> uh <laughs> We get asked that all the time, and you know, I, I yeah. look at my cat. We've got a, two dogs and a cat in this house, of course. And uh, right, right. you know, we, we, I, I would concur with most cat owners. We're here to serve them instead of the other way around. But <laughs> the, the interesting thing is, there are a lot of similarities in the way that, that not necessarily the communication methods, although the, the the body language, the consistency, the calmness make the world of difference. And we've had some wonderful cats over the years. And you know, some that'll right. come on walks with us around the neighbourhood. Some that'll come when they're called. Some are inside. Some are outside. That so really varies. But you know, yeah. no. <laughs> the short answer is <laughs> <laughs> you cut to the chase pretty quickly. Uh, let me think about it. No. <laughs> no exactly. <laughs> okay. Well. I, and they're 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 not little dogs, man. You know, I, and, and you learn yeah. that not just not just from a mental standpoint, from a medical standpoint. They're like their own little alien species, complete really with their are. own set of issues. It's yeah. remarkable. Uh, I, I love cats, um, it, you know, in an entirely different way because they're not little dogs, but uh, they're they're very interesting creatures. I'll give them that. I have yeah, three myself. So I, oh, you do. They're you know, I, mm-hmm. I'd call myself a dog person, probably, but but I I do enjoy the cats. I must say. Um, yeah, all right, so who else do we? Okay. Um, well, most guys, you know, we kind of go that way. You know? <laughs> exactly. Cats are more for the ladies, and, you know, the dogs are more for the guys, typically. And, of course, exceptions to every rule. Um, right. I, I better shut up before I get myself in trouble. Yeah, now. I was say, I'm trying to be quiet yeah. at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. You're being smart. Um, let's see. We got uh, another Robin, and we don't know okay. where she's from. She didn't, she didn't list it. Liam, I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old children. Uh, While I plan to be vigilant in training my kids to treat our dog gently and respectfully, would you recommend a particular breed that you would consider most tolerant of small children? Oh, that's a really good question, a really good question. And and, and And I I appreciate uh, somebody doing that research too, you know what I mean? I like the forethought of it, yeah. And and over the years... uh, a couple of things first for those those listening that have small children and or are considering getting a, a family pet, particularly dog. In the dog's eyes, and I'm, I'm generalising here, most children will be viewed as puppies till about the age of 12. And in typically okay. most, most children at the age of 12, you know, until they're about 18, they become teenagers, 13 through through 18. And they really don't care as much about the dogs, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. They don't know, care about much of anything. <laughs> yeah, that's my point. So the, the issue is that, you know, a lot of us parents think, well, well the, the kids are, you know, badgering us for years to get a dog and we finally relinquish. And, and the trouble is that, that the kids 
because of what I just said, the dog doesn't respect them as much. And so the day-to-day, they can help out with the, you know, the, the poop scooping and those sorts of things, and they can come on walks with mum and dad, and et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, the leadership issues, the responsibilities of bringing the dog up correctly, they really do fall on the parents. So in other words, you, you wouldn't expect a five-year-old to be able to discipline you know, your 100-pound German Shepherd successfully necessarily. Right. Some, some precocious kids get away with it, luckily, and all that. The, the point I'm making is the responsibility does fall to us as parents. I just want to make that point clear. doesn't mean that the children can't interact. I think they're great. To have, we, you know, we, we obviously big proponents of, of um, children with animals as long as they're supervised, particularly dogs. But yeah. uh, back to her question, I think one of the safest breeds from our perspective over the years has been the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. They oh, I like think, that. Yeah, they just seem to be to have the right temperament. They're the right size. They just, just you know, I mean, there are a myriad of reasons, and and I could, I don't want to just single out this breed, but if I, if you were to ask me about one particular breed, phenomenal, phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I mean, you know, I can uh, from there, but yeah, that'll give you some idea. That's fantastic. You know, because you know, first one that always comes to mind to me is Lab. Uh, right. Labrador Retriever, sure. uh, you know they're a fun family dog. You know you go in the pool, you throw fetch. I mean it, it kind of right. goes with the kid, but not all of them are quite sane. You know I mean there's some crazy labs out there, probably because of all the inbreeding that, you know, unfortunately plagues a popular breed. Um, yeah. But uh, but Cavaliers, man, I can I can tell you I don't think I've ever met a bad one. They're wonderful, wonderful dogs. They're so cute. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, I mean, nothing against Labradors. I love them and, and Golden Retrievers right. and, and all the other breeds. But, yeah, I just think, for sp- particularly for younger children, uh, just a solid temperament of a, of a dog. Okay, I love that. And, you know, I'm going th- I got a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a four-month-old. I'm going through that right now. It's just hard to train a toddler. I mean, we're, we just watch them, watch them, watch them, but they just don't get it. <laughs> you know, it's good. It's difficult. You turn your head and they're pulling the dog's tail. Like, no, stop it. I know. Like, I know. Like, like I have a little you know, blonde haired blue eyed monkey in my house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you've got, you know, you've got, uh, we're all really busy. And one of the things I would say, and that is it's not necessarily for yourself, but just generally, is, sure. you know, we are busy. And, and you know, it's, it, it is up to us as parents. It's our responsibility to not, you know, bring any harm to our children or our animals. So what we do recommend quite often is, you know, give the kids some some time out away from the dog. And, and if you can't, you know, you come home from work and it's busy and you, or you're entertaining guests, whatever, have a time out place for the dog to go to where they can just relax and be left alone. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's a bedroom or a crate or the basement or wherever, depending on where you live, of course, then it works yeah. really well. And then have some supervised, you know, calm playtime with with um, your, your puppy and your, your children. I think it's wonderful. And that way you can control yeah. as well. Well, that's good. I'm glad, you know, we're doing at least one right thing here. Yeah, we do have their their kind of uh, Lulu and Bernie, my two dogs. They're, they they do have the bedroom to go retreat to um, when the when the boy's overbearing. So yes, <laughs> that's good, good. That's, that's good advice. Right. I need that little retreat area. <laughs> All right, now I'm going to give us our – I'm going to put out that, our number one more time here yeah. because we only have one more question left. We're going to lose Mr. Liam Crow here, guys. Okay. Um, I see there's a guest on the chat right now, but she's not posting a chat, so – Guest, go ahead and post us a question because uh, I don't know when this gentleman's going to be on my show again. Okay, so <clears throat> Michael, just this is just Michael. We don't know where Michael's from either. Okay. This is a kind of a cool question. What do you think of Caesar Milan? Does he does does he does his show on TV really credible? Hmm. Huh, I, really, I, I, question. Yeah, I. I th- right. I think what he's getting at, and I think it's a typo there. I think what he's getting at is. Is this for real? Right. <laughs> he, 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 like there's this snarling beast. He walks in. He he makes a couple of little gestures and turns his head one way, and the dog's following him out like he's been his long lost friend. You know, right. is, is this is it real? Is it for real? From your opinion? Well, he, he could be honest there. Yeah, no, no, I don't I, know, I, nothing. I don't think honest. Caesar's listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, interesting. Well, I haven't actually met um, Caesar, but I did meet his wife or former wife, I guess, about a year ago. Um, okay. He was in Colorado, and, and Caesar was on the phone. So I've connected with him. A lot of our our guys know him. One of our guys has a radio show up in New York, and he's been on his radio show. So there's certainly we have you know professional courtesies extended amongst ourselves. But interestingly, um, to to the question, and I'll come back to technique as well. But to the question, I mean, I've done you know hundreds of TV shows myself, including our franchise owners too. 
and the the magic of editing is phenomenal. I'll, I'll say enough. Of, you know, I think I'll say enough. <laughs> there. But sure. I will also say we had you know when we first came to this country, we had a local um, TV station like our in an NBC station here in Denver, pretty big one. Okay. Follow yeah. us on on two sessions on a Saturday, and then came back and filmed at two sessions. The, the the same like follow up two weeks later because they didn't believe it either, and they it was phenomenal. I mean it was night and day the difference and you've experienced it hopefully from some of the clients that that you've seen as well. And you know it's not magic. Right. It's phenomenal, but it's not magic. There's still follow up work the clients need to do, but we get some amazing results in a very short period of time, and it, it has an amazing amount of stickability because the system works so well and it's pretty simplistic for the owners to follow. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean the magic of the, the editing room, and uh, you know, there's been times when I've been, you know, quoted on uh, saying things on camera, and I see it played back because it's not live, and I go, gosh, I didn't really say that or mean that, or you know, I, and that's that's, right. that's the beauty of it. And I know to Caesar's show, that's certainly that there's a lot of editing goes on. I don't doubt that that you know he has the ability to to make some changes, um, but I also just to the technique side of things, you know, we've got to be mindful that that there are different ways to train dogs and, and we certainly, none of us is an island unto ourselves and there are a myriad of techniques to be able to help as many dogs and save as many as we can. But we do it mm-hmm. in such a way that we're not physical. You know, there are trainers out there, Caesar included, that tend to be a little bit heavy-handed, you know, two hands-on with the dog. And the problem right. with that is, you know, people see that and try and mimic it and they're going to mm-hmm. get themselves bitten or and as a result, yeah. lose the dog and it's really dangerous. And you know what? Right. The beauty of what we do is we enable people to communicate to their dog in a way that's not threatening, it's not going to hurt the dog, and it's only going to enhance their relationship. And I think that's really important. You know, there are other trainers out there who subscribe to the shock treatment. You know, that they, they they call them electronic oh, collars, yeah. knee collars, and that sounds awful to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and I know people have tried them on and zapped themselves. I don't know why they do, but um, you know, and then they go, "Well, that's it. I'm not putting that on my dog." And why they even thought about it in the first place is beyond me, but. It's not a, co- a way to communicate, and it certainly does everything to undermine the relationship. Three thing, one thing I want to say is there's three components that we believe on a key, believe in a key to enhancing our relationship with our dogs, and they are bond, respect, and trust. And if you don't okay. have those three components, then you really shouldn't have a dog. And you know, really, bond could be you could you flip that word around for and say love. I mean, it's it's part of the reason we have an animal in our lives is is because of that that you know they we want to provide love to them and, and they reciprocate, you know, tenfold. And so, but it is, is sure. really important from that. And if you break down one of those barriers and your dog doesn't trust you, particularly because you're going to zap it again or whatever the case is, or you're going to get physical with it, then right. that's the problem. And, and it's never, you're never going to have the, the relationship you want to have with your dog. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I, I've never seen anybody have success with that. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 I've never agreed with it. Uh, now, let me ask you something else. I have, uh, when I first bought my animal hospital, mm-hmm. uh, there was an office manager in place who was, uh, you've heard of the crazy cat ladies? Yes. <laughs> she was, okay, well, she was a crazy IG lady, IG meaning Italian greyhound. She collected them. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, okay. Her, her, is her passion, very nice lady, but, I mean, yep. like, her life was not married. <laughs> Just heard, like, six of these things. Um <laughs> And I do love Italian greyhounds, but um, there, she was in a situation where um, one in particular was just just this barky thing. It was like it was almost like a nervous twitch. It wasn't barking at anything particular, just constantly. So anyway, she put one of those citronella collars on the dog. Oh, yep. And, yep, and, and so, what do you think about those? Well, interestingly, uh, going back to the start when I said you know we'd heard about barkbusters through our veterinarian because we'd heard about mm-hmm. all these other techniques and particularly because our dog was a barker as well. Uh, right. citronella collar and we really didn't want to do it and then thankfully our vets said don't be silly you know use you know use bark busters i've trained dogs over the years that uh, in both instances whether it's the e-collar or the citronella collar they'll some dogs have such a high um, tolerance for pain when i'm talking about the e-collar they'll continue barking anyway and they'll, they won't mind it right or it's like the dogs right. run through the invisible fence barrier and then they don't want to come back <laughs> You know, the, the motivation to get out was stronger than coming back in. But the citronella <laughs> collars are dogs that will bark themselves silly for three minutes, empty out the reservoir, and then they're, they're good to go, you know? And they just avoid right. eye contact to it. So, yeah. And, it can and they're not them, stupid. They figure that out. <laughs> yeah. And I remember working with a vet back in uh, New Zealand years and years ago. Great guy. Had this lovely golden retriever. 
uh, a big, big phobia of thunderstorms, and he tried a citronella collar on it, and he couldn't even get the regular collar on this dog for about six months afterwards because she was so freaked out by it. So, isn't that something? Yeah, I, I, I to me, it's just, and it smells so strong. You know, oh, you know, yeah. everything they bark, it sprays in their nose. And that must stay with them all day long. You know, oh, yeah. you've smelled the citronella candle. Oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> well, uh, that that's great. So you're not a fan of those, is the bottom line. No, exactly, not at all, not at all. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, the, the, there's one last question, but it's medical in nature. So I'm, I'll take that one, and I'm Good. not going to take any of your time. You've been very generous with it tonight. No live calls, but we had some great, great email and chat questions. I was really, really that pleased with that, and you answered them so well. And i got to tell you, a lot of Americans will agree with me. Uh, there's something just so exceptionally friendly and inviting about an Australian accent. That's why we, we tend to love you guys. So really, uh, really a pleasure to have you on the show, and I hope we can talk to you again in the future. I would, it would be my, my honor and pleasure to come back again. I, I sincerely say that, and, and I would encourage people to, yeah, if we could do a live chat, that I'd, I'd love it, and I'm sure you do too. But, yeah, I mean... Oh, I, really, I do. Yeah. It's, it's fun, but uh, we'll we'll link up again. We uh, I got the contact now, so uh, right, and, and, right. And, and let me let me just while you're still on the air, I want to tell everybody, ladies and gentlemen, Barkbusters is a phenomenal company. It's well run. The therapists are fantastic. They're at least the ones in my area have are nothing short of phenomenal. I'm very happy with them. A lot of veterinarians feel the same way. So uh, that you, said, sir, you have yourself a great night. Thank you, Doctor Wilton. All the best to you. All right, take care. Uh, what a, what a, what a cool guy he was. Um, I uh, I was really looking forward to this chat. I know it's going to be very popular. I know once the uh, I can't wait to see the listen total tonight, just because of the subject matter. It's so important, so relevant. Um, so many problems that can be so easily fixed um, using the techniques that these guys have innovated. And uh, certainly looks like they have a, a charismatic, very caring leader in uh, Mr. Liam Crow, the CEO of their company. So certainly, folks, you know. I would even consider uh, Barkbusters for just starting off from puppyhood on because they can guide you, you know, through, um, you know, raising a well-behaved, happy, well-adjusted dog because when they're happy, you're happy. When you're happy, they're happy. And uh, these folks really teach you very well how to do that. Now, I do have one last question tonight. And as I said, this one's medical in nature, so um, I am going to take this one. This one's um, emailed in from Chris. And... uh, Chris's question uh, is, what are the anal sacs, and why does my nine-year-old dog suddenly have to get them squeezed every month? <laughs> That's a good question. And I'm surprised that uh, your vet didn't fill you in on what they are and why they have to be squeezed. Or maybe I'm assuming perhaps that uh, <clears throat> Chris's dog might have them squeezed out by the groomer. Uh, that is an area that uh, the some groomers will venture into, but... Um, A very simple explanation for what the anal sacs are. They're these two little sacs that live um, in the rectum. They're just inside the anal sphincter muscle, so you really can't see them, but uh, they're only about a half centimeter inside. So they're they're very close to the the kind of exit tract there, and they live within the rectal wall. And the reason they exist is because they collect a fluid from the anal glands that are embedded in the walls of the rectum as well. And this fluid gets collected in these sacs that exist at about the 9 o'clock, 3 o'clock position, if you're looking straight at the dog's butt. And this fluid, it's really stinky. So some some uh, some people in the industry, groomers, breeders, will call them the stink glands uh, because they, they, they are very stinky. So what happens is in the normal dog, they the dog goes to defecate, so have a bowel movement, and as the feces is passing through that area, it will press on those sacs and that fluid empties and coats the feces to, and the, the end result is it gives the feces a distinct scent that is unique to that dog. So, you know, it's something left over from the wolf ancestry that was, uh, I guess, very important. It's very important to wolves uh, in order to be able to identify themselves, you know, one one pack versus perhaps a competing pack that's invading into their territory. Um, so that's how they communicate with each other. And, and as you know, uh, the dog's sense of smell is much stronger than ours. Uh, they can smell 300,000 times more acutely than we can. Very sensitive noses. But, man, you smell this stuff, even we can pick up on it. It stinks. And and what happens is as the dogs get older, and sometimes it can start young. If the conformation is not ideal, a lot of purebreed dogs versus mutts tend to have this problem more. 
So I think there's some conformational issues where the anatomy is not ideal for the function. But in, in, this, in, in Chris's dog's case, suddenly at nine years old, this dog has to get them squeezed every month, whereas before the age of nine, it didn't seem to happen. Um, and the reason is that, like us, as the dogs age, their GI system is not what it used to be, as I like to say, ain't what it used to be. And certainly there's things that I can't eat now at 36 years old that, um, you know, I was able to inhale buckets of, like, you know, super hot inferno wings and things of that nature. That's just not going to work for me anymore. <laughs> the same goes for the doggies. So, um, you know, the the fiber uh the fiber requirement goes up. Um, the diets need to be a, a little bit less rich. And as a result, you know, sometimes the stools aren't as bulked up as they should be. And uh, as it's passing through the rectal wall, um, it's not pressing on those anal sacs effectively enough. So as a result, they fill up. It starts to itch the dog. They start to walk on their butt. We call that scooting behavior. Some people think it's kind of funny, but it's actually not funny. The dog's got a really itchy butt, and that's why he's doing that. And sometimes, folks, it's not just mean to let the dog keep doing that and not have it treated. Uh, it, it also can be gross because they can leave skid marks on your carpet, and you don't want that. So if you see scooting behavior, yes, uh, take them to your veterinarian. Uh, or, hey, if you have a brave groomer that's, you know, perfectly willing to do that, have them squeezed out. And basically the dog will let you know when they need to be squeezed out in most cases. You just um, – usually they'll start licking back there. You'll, you can see they're noticeably uncomfortable around the tail base region. And, um, you know, then the outright scooting behavior. And, and don't wait too long once that scooting starts because <clears throat> the next step is that they could actually become impacted. And if they become impacted, they can become infected. Um, also, even if they're not infected, they're just impacted, they can uh, be a little bit more painful to squeeze out, whereas if you catch it early, uh, it usually squeezes out pretty easily and the uh, dog's not too bothered by it. The first time's always the worst. They're always like, hey, oh, hey, what are you doing back there? Uh, but then uh, thereafter, they understand that, uh, you know, for, first of all, we're not doing anything horrible back there uh, and that they, I think a lot of dogs understand that they feel better afterwards. So that's Chris's question, and uh, that's all we have for tonight. Uh, I would like to get some calls and, uh, you know, again, these were some great chat and uh, email questions we got tonight and I'm very pleased with them. And, and, and folks, thank you so much for using the new features that we just started to implement uh, just two episodes ago for the 2011 season. So um, I thank you kindly for joining me this evening. What a wonderful guest, Mr. Liam Crow. I'd like to thank Mr. Crow uh, from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be on my little show. Uh, good evening to you all, and I will chat with you again next week, ladies and gentlemen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.